For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is happening, gang? We're jacked for Super Bowl 55. So jacked that we need to take a few minutes to talk to you, just to calm down a little bit, and talk to you about the Super Bowl of podcast advertising, Podcorn. No T.O., not Popcorn. Even though I have problems enunciating, sorry, mom. We want to talk to you about Podcorn. We at IFP love Podcorn. It is the ultimate podcast marketplace that hooks up podcasters with brands and vice versa. If you're a podcaster looking to monetize your show but don't know where to start, look no further than Podcorn. Podcorn makes it super simple for you to see brands who are interested in promoting their products on your show. The platform is bananas easy to use. So simple, I even heard a rumor Rick might be able to do it. And for brands looking to get the word out, Podcorn is the the perfect place for you to create an organic advertising campaign that naturally integrates your brand with shows that literally everyone loves. So what are you waiting for? Jump on the old Google machine and head over to podcorn.com today to get rolling. What is happening, guys? We are jacked about this one. So today on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pullian, we are going to go deep into Super Bowl 55. We're going to look at it from all angles in terms of the players, the matchups, the schemes. We look at officiating. I think you guys are going to really like Bill's perspective on what we can expect. Will this be a let them play week or not? And then finally, we dive into the weather and what kind of impact uh, a sloppy field might have on the Super Bowl. So get ready and then finally. Finally, I know everybody's been clamoring. We're going to get Bill's take on some of the earth-shattering movement that happened in the NFL and see what he thinks about the Stafford to the Rams trade. Did they give up too much? Uh, What does this set for the Watson market? So sit back, get ready. This is our preview of Super Bowl 55. We are live. Well, very cool. We are not lighting the lamp today on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pullen. We have a very different approach going into the Super Bowl. Uh, hopefully, you guys will like this. This will lead to some more intriguing content coming down the pike. But it is our big show. We are diving into Super Bowl 55, all the permutations, getting you fully prepped for everything you could possibly want to know headed into Sunday. So without any further ado, let's dive in. Rick, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, Bill, why don't we start off, you know, sort of give us a general orientation by taking us through the key uh, differences and similarities uh, between, you know, the critical team stats, key players, and their individual stats that you think will really be meaningful in this game. Well, um, most important thing to remember is that when we look at metrics, um, they're for the playoffs. The regular season doesn't count. That's over and done with. Um what you're talking about is the here and now. That's uh, that's point one. Point two, um, this is not about stories. 
mean, Tom Brady's umpteenth Super Bowl is fine, but it has no bearing on the game. Uh, so it, it, there's, there's no reason to go there. Um, that, that's, you know, other people can, can cover that. So as we, as we look at the, at the numbers, they make some interesting comparisons. Again, this is only for the playoffs. Um, Kansas City, by the way, has played two games in Tampa Bay, three. So in some cases, I've made an allowance for that. Um, but, but the numbers are all good. Um, Kansas City, points four, 29.6. Tampa Bay, 30.7. Points against, Kansas City, 22.4. Tampa Bay, 22.3. How about that? And we said, you know, the magic number is 23, right? They're both below it. Um, third down offense, 49-53 for Kansas City, 44-92 for Tampa Bay. Pretty wide disparity there. Third down defense, 40.93 for Kansas City, 42-21 for Tampa Bay. So slight edge there for Tampa Bay. Red zone, touchdowns, 61-43 for percent for Kansas City, um, 64% for Tampa Bay. Red zone TDs uh, for the, you know, the defense performing in the red zone, 74.07, uh, 74% for Tampa Bay, uh, I'm sorry, for Kansas City, and 62% for Tampa Bay. So um, big difference there. That's a pretty significant difference. TDs, 3.6 per game for Kansas City, 3.6 per games for Tampa Bay. Um, and TDs given up on defense, 2.7 for Kansas City, 2.6 for Tampa Bay. So um, this game, the numbers tell you, will be a lot closer than people think. These two teams are almost identical by the numbers, almost. There's some differences, but almost. When you go to um, the various players, and again, I want to repeat constantly, this is playoff performance now, not, uh, not uh, uh, regular season. Um, so uh, in, in, with the running backs, Rojo, 23 carries for 78 yards, 3.4 per carry. He hasn't gotten much work. Fournette um, is 4.4 uh, per carry and, and, and 40 carries. He's gotten much more work, obviously. Um, Edwards Hilaire, uh, very brief appearance. Uh, five carries for six yards. So, uh, you know, he just made a cameo. Uh, Williams, 26 for 130, 5.0. So he's been running the goal really well, and Edwards Hilaire will be back this week, I think. Uh, all signs point to that. Uh, so um, uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty, that's a, a you know, Figure it out, 4.4 versus 5.0 for the, for the two bell cow running backs. That's close enough, you know, close enough. Um, 
quarterbacks. Uh, Mahomes, yards per attempt, which we know is the, the most important statistic, 8.1, Brady 7.6. Uh, third down percentage, uh, Mahomes 66.3, uh, Brady 68.7. Um, the, the, uh, in, in, the quarterback ratings, which are interesting, um, 108.2 for Mahomes uh, and uh, 102.2 for Brady. Uh, so, you know, pretty interesting in terms of the fact that Mahomes has performed a little bit better than Brady uh, throughout the throughout the playoffs. Um, the the uh, I'll give you the these are the playoff statistics now. Brady sixty for one hundred nine fifty five percent eight seven point nine average, which I just gave you seven touchdowns, three interceptions. Mahomes uh, uh, fifty fifty for sixty fifty out of sixty eight seventy three point five percentage. That's a that's a huge difference there, huge difference. 55% versus 73% uh, for 580 yards, 8.5, as we said before, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, the playoff uh, numbers, I have to correct myself here. In, in, uh, Mahomes, uh, no, I'm sorry, I gave you the correct playoff. 118.5 was his, was his in-season record. So in terms of Completion percentage in terms of interceptions, Mahomes, pretty big difference. Pretty big difference. And Brady's interceptions came in the championship game, as you'll recall. Um, there's also a pretty big difference when you go to the receivers. Godwin, and, and this is interesting, this is really interesting. Godwin, 28 uh, targets. 14 receptions. So he's got the dropsies. Um, he, he, now, typically, he doesn't do that in the regular season. But there's no question that in the three previous playoff games, he has. 223, 15.9. So he's a big play down the field receiver. A one touchdown. Um, Evans, 10 for 21. He's got the dropsies, too. Now, some of these, because these guys are downfield receivers, Evans is 17.3 uh, per, per catch. Um, some of those will be overthrows and, and, and PBUs, not necessarily drops. But there are enough. You're talking about 50% catching rate here in, in, in broad terms. So that's, that's worrisome. Um, great. 11 for 16, 149, 13.5 per catch. So he's been working up the field and, and, and getting things done. One touchdown. Evans, by the way, has two touchdowns. Fournette, this is really interesting. He was not known as a third down back in Tampa. Now he says, and I believe him, he was overworked and overpracticed in Tampa. That, that he never got a chance to catch his breath, that he got beat up every week. I believe him. He's right. Uh, 
He's 14 of 17, 102, 7.3, which is exactly where a, a back ought to be, and one touchdown. Scotty Miller, who's the secret weapon, uh, uh, six targets, four catches, 80 yards, uh, 20 yards per catch. So he, he's he's the big play guy, one touchdown. Um, Fournette's rushing. I, I didn't give you the uh, total statistics. 48 for 211, 4.4, two touchdowns. Now, let's turn to Kansas City. This is a completely different picture, amazingly so. There's only three receivers that make the stat sheet when it's all said and done. Hill, 21 uh, targets, 17 completions. Thank you very much. <laughs> 282 yards, 16.6 per reception. That's the definition of a big play receiver. Yep. Pretty good. <laughs> what you're looking for, for sure. A little dangerous. A little dangerous. Kelsey, 25 targets. Remember, one fewer game than Tampa Bay, so that's where the disparity comes in. Uh, 25 targets, 21 receptions, 227 yards, 10.8, three touchdowns. That's exactly where you, you would want him to be. Yep. Nicole Hardman is the, is the, the only other guy that makes the stat sheet. Um, Seven targets, six receptions, 62 yards, 10.5, one touchdown. So what you're talking about here is three receivers. Sammy Watkins is, 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 is bringing back his Lazarus role. <laughs> he, he's going to be... Every four weeks. Every four weeks, yes. Yeah. He, he, he comes back from the dead and, yes. and makes an appearance, and apparently he will be doing so this weekend. <laughs> so that... that uh, reprise was the word I was searching for. Uh, he, uh, he may be a, a, a factor. He may be a factor because if he's healthy, he can run and he can catch the ball. Um, interestingly enough, we talked about Williams. We talked about, uh, uh we talked about Edward Hilaire, but, um, when you look at carries here, Williams obviously has 26 for 150, 5.0 average, one touchdown. Hardman has two for 54. Hilaire, we talked about six for seven. Bell, two for six. Hill, three for nine. So they're using Hardman and in, in other situations, Hill, and certain situations, Bell, as a ball carrier to take up some of the slack that they lack with Edwards Hilaire not being in there. And it's also part of the fact that their system is geared in Kansas City to make you play sideline to sideline. So they use a lot of reverses, a lot of motion, a lot of, uh, you know, zoom sweep, stuff like that, fly sweep, stuff like that. So uh, they make you both view the formation before the snap and then react to the motion and then snap the ball. So that's the that that that's the that's the overview in terms of of uh, where they sit uh, from a, a a statistical standpoint. But what picture does it paint? Well, 
as I said before, it paints a very uh, a picture of two pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, it, it paints a picture of um, a team in Tampa Bay who has multiple, multiple, multiple weapons. Uh, six guys, actually, that make the stat sheet in terms of the passing game and two in the running game who are, are obviously capable. And uh, and then in, in Kansas City's case, really only three. If you add Watkins, if he's ready to make a cameo appearance or maybe maybe, maybe even play a role, right. you know, you, you have the two the two number the two supermen plus hardman and 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 that's that's really about it and robinson you know may be out because of covid so that's a you know you don't know who's going to be up on game day but it's a very different issue however the constant is that both hill and kelsey are incredible after the catch and so they rely on them so much for big plays and, and they deliver big plays. So the question is defensively, how do you, how do you defense them? How do you go, go ahead and, and use your blitz philosophy, which is what Tampa Bay wants to do? Um, th- those are the interesting X's and O's questions. And, and these numbers take you to the X's and O's. Now, keep in mind, on the other side of the coin, Tampa Bay can only have um, probably one back and three of these receivers, maybe four, in the game at one time. So, you know, what, what you're really looking at is Godwins and Evans with Brait as a, 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 and, and maybe Gronk as, as secondary guys, and then Fournette clearly the, the, the third down back. He's the third back third down back now right so i mean bill and looking at that just kind of getting narrower in terms of our look at some of the game i mean obviously we can't get into individual matchups because since we don't know what kind of schemes are going to play can you talk a little bit about what we can expect in the trenches in terms of how these two teams match up on the offensive and defensive lines sure let's talk chiefs first uh because the Chiefs' defense is – well, Chiefs' offense is interesting too. Uh, you're going to have Wiley, I presume, moving to left tackle and Remmers staying at right tackle. So Wiley is a guard. He's typically the starting right guard. He'll be moving now. They may move him to right tackle and flip Remmers too. We know that's one for for our listeners. Check that out on game day. See who's playing where, uh, because it does, it will have an effect. Um, but what you're doing there is taking a guy who's used to playing inside and putting him outside, and they're matched up against Shaq Barrett and JPP who are two of the better rushers in the National Football League. And more importantly, they are speed rushers. And neither Remmers nor Wiley are necessarily strong against speed rushers. They can can basically fight you with power. And Wiley is a powerful guy, plays guard anyway. But speed rush 
is is difficult for them. And what Tampa Bay has done in the past is taken a page from Kansas City's blitz book, where they tried to isolate the tackle by blitzing inside, they try or or stunting inside. They try to isolate the offensive tackle on a speed rusher. So this on paper right now is a matchup that very much favors um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. However, but here we go. Here we go. Here's where the secret weapon comes in. Here's where the strategic air command comes to the rescue. <laughs> Flying it. Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, from, from Omaha, their home base. Right. Uh, <laughs> Stealth bomber. Most quarterbacks, including Tom Brady, traditional quarterbacks play on one level or one and a half levels if you really if you really want to dimension or levels, dimensions a better word, if you really want to split hairs. Tom Brady plays in the pocket where you know he's going to be. His blockers know where he's going to be. And then the other half is that, that you know, one and a half percent is that he moves around in the pocket so efficiently that it's hard for one free rusher to get him. He also has a tremendous sense of where everybody is in the pocket, spatial awareness. So if he feels that that somebody is free, he has within the concept of the offense the ability to get rid of the ball right now, boom, and get it out to not take a sack. That get rid of it quick context is not as pronounced as with Tampa Bay as it was in New England. The scheme doesn't allow him that outlet that quickly. Hence, a few more interceptions. Uh, bounce-offs, things like that, because the defenders are closer to the ball than they than they, they would have been with Edelman lurking somewhere, you know, where he knows right. he can always count on it. <laughs> That's just, if he comes back for another year, they'll solve that problem next year with offseason and, 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 and uh, preseason, et cetera, but they, they can't do it right now. Um, but I would look, because of the tackle situation, um, you know, I'd look for Kansas City maybe to do that. Anyway, back to Brady. 1.5 dimensions. Russell Wilson, two dimensions. Inside the pocket, extension, and throw from extension anywhere on the field. So he plays in two dimensions. Mahomes plays in three dimensions. <laughs> Inside the pocket, extend, throw anywhere on the field. And if you get a free rusher, just keep backing up. Right. Because <laughs> you can throw it from anywhere. And then throw it 50 yards on yeah. the money. Yep. So he's hard to sack. You absolutely have to get two rushers on him fast. Because if you don't, he'll evo- avoid or run away from the first one, run back away from the first one, and then throw it down the field or extend and throw it down the field. So he plays in three dimensions, really, which is, which is why he's the secret weapon. You can't, 
You, you almost have to get two guys to him. So when you put, your, put together your blitz package, you have to say to yourself, we need to get two free rushers, even if we're going to disrupt them. He's hard to sack, but if you're going to disrupt them, you got to get two free rushers. Hey, so Bill, stupid fan question time. So if he's hard to sack, can exist in three dimensions, is there some logic to playing him in some insane way where you, you know, have two down linemen or, you know, put eight, nine guys in coverage and then hope that by sort of paper cut death, maybe if you have him have more plays, he makes a mistake because you're sort of dependent on him to screw up versus beating him. Buffalo tried. Buffalo yeah. tried and failed. That's essentially what they did. And the reason that they failed was be, for two reasons. One, he had the to, the bad toe, so he wasn't as prone to take off and run. You give him two rushers, he's just going to run away from them. And he's healthy now, so he said the other day. And uh, secondly, Buffalo played zones, wanted to rally up, give give the catches to Kelsey, give the catches to uh, to Hill, rally up. How did that work out? They rallied up, but they couldn't yeah. tackle him. <laughs> Wasn't a fun game. I mean, it's no. not from their point of view. And, 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 and I'm not being a smart guy here. I'm not trying oh, no. to be a wise guy here. They did the right thing. What happened was they couldn't tackle those guys. They were just overmatched by the athleticism and the speed of Hill and the athleticism of Kelsey. Of Kelsey. But is he so good that it's almost like borderline – He's got to make some mistakes for you to win. No, because you can get in a shootout with him, and 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 that you know there aren't many teams that get in shootouts with him and survive it, but but you can, and and uh, and and you can you know you could end up with one mistake by somebody, a fumble, a bounce off interception, something like that. You know, I I would prefer almost to get in a shootout with him, honestly. Uh, and Tampa Bay has the capacity to do that, uh, rather than try and rope a dope. I don't think you, I don't think you, you, you gain anything by rope a doping on defense. And and I'm a Tony Dungy Tampa two guy, right? But not against this guy, yeah. <laughs> and not against these receivers. <laughs> so uh, so sort of playing this out a little, I think you know we have an unusual opportunity here in a Super Bowl where the two teams played one another you know, relatively recently in Week 12. Uh, Bill, not from a prediction standpoint is what's going to happen yet, but uh, as a, just in terms of game planning, how will that affect what uh, Andy Reid and Bruce Arians do in terms of here's what we're going to try to do in the game? Here's the biggest effect. It's not game planning. It's the fact that the players know what the opposition can do. They know what it's like to play against Patrick Mahomes. They know what it's like to play against Tyreek Hill. They know what it's like to play against Fournette. They know what it's like to play against Adams and Godwin. That is the biggest takeaway from the game. Because when you're playing an opponent from the other conference, when you look at them on tape, it's very different than being out there with them on the hoof. So... Uh, that's the biggest takeaway. The second biggest takeaway is when you, the individual position coaches look at the tape, 
they will say, and let's create a hypothetical here, Remmers against JPP. Um, the offensive line coach of the Chiefs will say, look at last time he had a much harder time using that club, you know, using the bad hand. So let's make him use the bad hand. If we're going to short set on him, let's make him use the bad hand. Go to try and lock the good hand so that you that 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 he has to use the one that's his least effective one. Um, when they look at the film, they will. Uh, these are hypotheticals. Now I don't want to. I'm, I, first of all, I don't. I don't know for sure. But uh, secondly, I wouldn't want to give away any secrets anyway. But. <laughs> Let's just let's assume Shaq, Shaq Barrett is most effective from a wide nine stance, and coming from a wide nine, he's trying to use his speed to get to your junction point about twice as fast as the average guy. But he's not Shaq's not a, a huge man. He I mean, he can't bench press a tackle, so. The offensive line coach is going to say, anytime he's in a wide nine, I want you to get to the junction point right away and be prepared to grab him if he comes back inside. Right. We'll take the holding penalty, but let's 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 not let him get to the junction point before you do. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you take off the film, not only from from when you played them, but it it, it gives you. A, his ability to do things and, and how he does them, his skill set, but also watching the previous game, it tells you how he decided he wanted to play you. Right. So, you know, that, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a tit for tat. Um, the best example I can give you is uh, of of guys who, uh, and this is an old timer, our young fans won't remember the guy, but he's a Hall of Famer. Maybe the greatest 4-3 old time outside linebacker ever to play when they, when, they, when they didn't have to rush the passer, when they played the run and dropped into pass and had to contain and do all that stuff. Jack Ham played left outside linebacker for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the greatest defense of all time. And if you tried to hook Jack, he would he was unhookable because he had he could beat you to the outside. He he would beat the 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 blocker's head with his left hand. His left hand was was like a almost like a snake. It would fire out and go boom, get the guy right <laughs> in the head or right on the shoulder pad, and then the the rest of his body would follow. It, it, it was a it was a left jab with incredible power, and so people would would say after a while they get tired of trying to block him that way they, they try to go right at him and yeah, say maybe we this. can move him off the line of scrimmage but we can't you'd be in a meeting room and, and you know the the tackle or tight end would say coach i can't hook him i can't get there we got to figure out another way to attack him so th that's what you get from from playing against them and and that's invaluable uh and then the coaches will take that and, and filter it into the game plan. But you're going to see, by and large, different schemes and different approaches in the Super Bowl. Also, in the Super Bowl, because of the long halftime, and I don't, I don't know how long it will be because it's virtual this time around. They don't have to dismantle the set on the field like they typically do. 
the typical live halftime show takes close to 35, 38 minutes before you, from the time you go into the locker room to the time you get out and start the second half because they got to just take people off the field, dismantle the stage, lights, etc. So two things happen. You get in the locker room and, and, you, and you feed the players. They actually get food, drink, uh, you know, uh, carbs, things of that nature to give them energy because in a typical Super Bowl, you have to leave for the stadium almost five hours before game time which means that you eat you eat your pregame meals seven hours before game time. Getting so hungry. That, that's hungry, out of out of energy. I mean, it's... Right. Out of sorts. It, yeah. I mean, we actually practiced it, and Bruce Aarons is actually practicing it. Um, so that's all of that filtered in. It won't be that way this year, I don't think, because everything is virtual. But with all that filtered in, uh, you actually have a second game plan that you practice, which you would alter in the locker room with the guys sitting in front of the whiteboards for the second half. So the coaches upstairs have to diagnose what's happening in the second half, and they have to go to an alternate game plan, and they got to make adjustments on the fly. So that makes it that halftime makes the X's and O's situation like no other game you play. And you have to be prepared um, to, uh, to, to face that and deal with it. You know, I, I found it fascinating. You and I had an uh, you know, off-air conversation a couple of days ago about this, that uh, you, know, you, you actually go in with a separate game plan for the second half. Like you say, you're going to alternate uh, you're going to you know, uh, change it in terms of what happened in the first half, but you actually have a, a whole separate game plan, which to me was amazing. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, in a typical game, you got about six minutes to talk to the team at halftime when, when you figure they got to go in and use the restroom and get hydrated and all that stuff. If that, here, you've got darn near, well, with the team, you've got darn near 35 minutes. So... It's a big change. The coaches can can take they, they the guys upstairs and the quality control guys will already have have annotated uh, what they want to change in the second half game plan, what they want to keep, and and you just you put it up on the on the overhead projectors and away you go. So it's a it's very different than a regular game. Very true. Well, drawing back to week 12 a little bit, one question I had is, you know, and I think a lot of our fans have sort of been wondering this on social media all week. I mean, when you have a half like the Chiefs had in that first half where Tyreek Hill puts up, you know, record-breaking numbers, Mahomes has one of the best halves since Peyton Manning had a half like that in 04 against the Broncos, can that kind of a half stick with a team so like you know i think the media conception and for non non in the building guys like me fans you know carlton davis had a real tough half is that the kind of thing that could stick with him and maybe if tyreek hill has a big play early on you go "Uh oh is this happening again no i don't think so um first and foremost corners have to have short memories second of all the coaches will tell him hey forget about it you know it's over and done with. Third, subconsciously, he's going to say, he ain't getting behind me again. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and 
this actually happens, you know, if, if now they're going to have to, if, if Carlton Davis, if, if, if Carlton Davis is, is on Tyreek, depending on what, what Kansas City does with formation and motion, they'll, they'll try to get that matchup. There are some times when he's going to have to press him because if you don't press, you don't disguise the blitz well enough, especially if he's in the slot. The slot blitz is one of the one of Tampa Bay's greatest weapons. So there's times when he's going to have to press him. Well, when the, if, if the coach puts the game plan in and says, okay, Tyreek, in, in, in this blitz, you're going to press, and Tyreek's going to say, coach, who's behind me? Where's my help? Right. <laughs> yeah. And where's Winfield? Yeah. And if the coach says, "Well, Tyreek, we don't have any help." No, 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 whoa, whoa, coach. Coach, yeah, yeah. I ain't signing up for that. <laughs> exactly. Nope. I'm standing <laughs> I mean, there. Those kinds of conversations <laughs> take place. Yeah. Uh, but but they, you know, they're too smart. Todd Bowles is too smart for that. They're going to have. They will have somebody behind him. It was a great play design. The play that where he ran away from him in the slot was they doubled, um, they doubled Kelsey on the outside. They had brackets. They had the corner covering the outside, the safety covering the inside. Uh, that meant there was no help on a diagonal for Hill. He ran the diagonal, ran away. It's not the corner's fault. It's just they, they chose to double the wrong guy. So, right. I mean, if I were <laughs> if I were the head coach, <laughs> I might go into the defensive meeting, which has already taken place, you know, two weeks ago, and say, uh, "There's never a time when we have Hill singled up, is there?" <laughs> right. <laughs> but can you pick your poison like that with the Chiefs, where conceivably, you know, because even in the broadcast from the Week Twelve game, I think Romo was talking about the Bill Belichick strategy, where you kind of double bracket Kelsey, double bracket Hill, and then make everybody else beat you. Is that is that a media concept? Is that real? No, no, that's real. That's real. Yeah. The, the problem is, the problem is that Andy uses um, formation and motion so well that he's going to put you in a situation where. You know, if, if there's if there's a bunch, it's hard to double out of a bunch. You know, it's just really hard to do. Uh, if there's if there's a a motion to trips, you know, how do you how do you handle that? Do you do you, you make the, the, the corner travel with Hill or do you bump it? You know, and do you risk him getting on Sorensen or do you call it off and zone it? You know, there's all those. That's why you stay up really late at night right. working through all these situations. Because the, the I'll share a story with you. I was a young assistant coach, U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. It's very late on Monday night. We're going through all of the various and sundry uh, deals, and and it was my job to break down the film of the opposition, which happened to be Lafayette College, with, who had. A guy named Baker, who was a great quarterback, had a, you know a good career as a backup with the New York Giants, and uh, and so uh, somebody, uh, an old veteran defensive backfield coach, said, you know, what if they take X and and they motion him over here to slot, and the backs offset, 
And so I said, well, I've broken down all the film. They've never done that. He said, I didn't ask that. Right. What if they do it? <laughs> Damned if they didn't do it in the game. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> Polian's never seen this. That's where we're going. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, th- th- those things happen. That's why the coaches, you know, don't go home until 2 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. So, Bill, sort of along those lines, you know, when you, you've, you've had something that you've generally used successfully, like heavy blitzing, corner press to, to disguise and so on. And is how easy it is just to say, oh, we're going to go away from it? I mean, do you, is it about doing that but executing it better? Or is it really about having to really play it, do it differently than really what's been paying off for you the whole season? Some people, Belichick being a prime example, will say, we did this in the first game, therefore we won't show it to him at all in the second game. We'll have a completely different approach. He constructs his roster so he has people who can do lots of different things, specialists, if you will, particularly on defense. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't do the breakdown this year, but the last time I did it, which was a couple of years ago, on game day with a 53-man roster, he had 28 defenders dressed. So, you know, that that's... It's weighted. That's heavy. Right? Yeah, and, and, and for a reason, because he's got all these specialists. Um, so that's one way to play it. The other way to play it, the other extreme, is what we did in, in, in Indianapolis, which is to say we do what we do. We're going to be Tampa 2. You're going to see a four-shell from us or a two-shell from us most of the time. Um, we're going to be zoned most of the time. Uh, the only time we're, we're going to blitz is when we're in third and five, uh, between third and six and third and three, where we want the ball to come out fast. And, and then we might be man or we might be zone. Um, we're going to, we'll play combination coverages only to take away Edelman on crossing routes, Hill on crossing routes. Uh, we're going to tackle as well as everybody in the league, as anybody in the league, excuse me, we're going to rally up. We're going to make the ball be thrown underneath us and rally up. We're going to tackle, and 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 we're going to rush the passer in a way that we may, we speed him, move him, and speed him up. Both both things. So all four guys, uh, front guys, if they hit us with a draw, God bless them. We'll we'll figure out how to stop that. But we we want the quarterback edgy. We want his timing off. And we want our guys rallying to the football. In Tony's words, do ordinary things in an extraordinary way. Now, that sounds very simple. And, and people who don't like the defense complain and say it's too simple. It's not because you change the drop angles and the, and the areas with, with, uh, where you, with whom you drop, where you drop based on the opponent, the formation, and the tendencies. So if we're playing cover two, and that very same situation occurred where Hill ran away from the press corner uh, because they were bracketing outside, fine. Go ahead and do the bracket. That's perfectly fine. In this particular case, we would say both safeties hone in on Hill. 
If he begins to diagonal, safety on that side, intersect him. You know, if, if, he, if he starts to go the other way, top side safety, favor that side. Don't read the quarterback's eyes. Read where Hill is. You know, that, that, those kinds of things, those, those week in and week out little details are what makes the difference. But it's two schools of thought. Um, Todd Bowles is a, is a, is a, a blitzer. And, bringing and he's, the heat. Yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and he's great at it. I mean, he really designs great, as does Spags, by the way. Both, both coordinators are great blitzers and they, they break down protection. Um, Todd's not trying to sack you. He's trying to make the ball come out early. He's, he's, he's hopes, he, not hopes, he picks his guys so they can play man to man and, and they're going to stick to you pretty well. Um, Kansas City did a great job of sticking, playing sticky coverage against Buffalo. Same, you know, really, same theory. One does it from a 3 4, the other from a 4 3. Um, but it's really a, uh, uh, they're well coached. And their idea is we're going to hit you with blitzes that you can't block. We're going to send one more than you can block. And then in this particular case with these two quarterbacks, we're going to get a second guy there to finish him off. So somebody has to win. They're going to create alignments inside where the second guy can win. In in Kansas City's case, Jones can win against everybody inside. He, the only guy that's better than him is Aaron Donald. And Jones is even is way more powerful than Aaron Donald because he's well over three bills. So, you know, he he can beat anybody. So they're going to put him on the guy that they think is 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 the most susceptible to being beaten. And now you're going to get now you're going to get in the face rush, which is bothers Tom Brady. That people in his face or under his feet disrupt him. So um, speaking of that, so in, and back to the last game, you, you know, uh, the Chiefs are up uh, 27 to 10 at the end of the third quarter. And the Bucks then did come back and uh, put up 14 unanswered. Did they, Bill, did they, um, did Tampa figure something out and do something different? Was that, uh, was that Kansas City saying, look, we're so far ahead just let them go down the field slowly. We don't have to worry about that, and therefore give them, you know, the opportunity to do that. What? Why was the fourth quarter different than the other three? Well, they hit one big play. They hit. They hit one huge, you know, big play, which they're capable of doing. That that bomb is in their in their arsenal. Uh, so they got a quick score, and then the other one was, you know, Tampa Bay said, "Hey, just keep everything in front of us, and we'll win the football game." So they did. So uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of uh, Spags' defenses, but going into this game, it you know we've we've seen this kind of movie before with his defenses against Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Do you think there's anything to maybe he's got a little bit of a book on it, or uh, he just had the right kind of pieces to get pressure in Brady's face and you know make him uncomfortable? Well, number one, he knows that. You know, from having played against him so many times, including in the Super Bowl with the Giants when they were when the Pats were undefeated, that the the only way to really disrupt Brady is to uh, is to get people in his face, interior pressure. You know, I've said a hundred times, you can fire two F-16s off the edge; it won't bother. It's not going to care. Just, yeah, 
push him by and go. Don't worry about it. Uh, he's going to step up and he'll find the air, an open area and deliver the ball. Uh, but people in his face bother him. So I think Todd is going to try and come up and, 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 and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Spags, going to try and create the kind of pressures where he can get people in his face quickly, which will disrupt the timing and, of course, take away the deep balls as well. And and the secret weapon there is Jones because Jones can, as I said, can beat virtually anybody. I'm guessing that Tampa Bay doubles him and takes their chances with Clark and Passignan. Uh, Nande is really a, a run player. Jones does both. He's all pro. Um, and 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 Clark is, you know, he's he's good when he can rush the passer. Not so good against the run, but he's good when he can rush the passer. And Passignan is a is an up-and-coming player. So my guess is, you know, they probably double Clark. Uh, I'm sorry, they uh, double Jones. Uh, but, you know, Spags is going to create situations where they can't. Double A-gap blitzes, by the way, with Jones offset as, as a, 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 you know, over the offensive guard, head on the offensive guard, mug the two linebackers in the A-gap. Now, go ahead. How are you going to protect that? Right. Right? You're going to go you gotta, backwards. You well, got to play on three dimensions. You put Fournette on, on, on one of the – or Jones on one of the linebackers, but you better win right? if they both come. Yeah. Yeah, no, with if, if only he was Mahomes and could just go back 100 <laughs> yards and throw it 300 yards. That, that, that would actually be illegal for both yeah. of them to be one guy. You know, there'd, there'd be no football game. But that's a perfect, that's a perfect example of playing off your strengths. Tampa Bay, similar. That's why, going back to the opening of the show, why the numbers are so important because they're so close together. These teams are so evenly matched. They got Vita Vea back. So now Vita Vea can play in goal line and short yardage. Who you got a double team just by humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's a walking double team. He's a a zip code by himself. But now he and Sue and the two inside linebackers – are going to give the Bucks the ability to stop the run. They're going to get. It's going to. This is going to have to be an outside zone game, I think, for for Kansas City, because even though Allegretti, Allegretti's, you know, really he's a good, he's a bulldozer, he's a road grader. You know, those two guys inside are loads now, <laughs> and the two linebackers are great, and the reason they're great. Is because they can flow quickly because they know that there's very few people coming out on them. Those 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 two guys take up a lot of space and occupy a lot of double teams and don't let people get all in, uh, get uh, offensive interior alignment out on the on the backers. I read something today where some pseudo scout said, "Well, you know, uh, Devin White isn't as good as people think because all he does is run to the ball." Oh yeah, right. Okay. Good. Oh yeah. Thanks a lot. I thought that was the object of the game. I think that's the thing. I think Ray Lewis proved that's you can be one of the greatest linebackers of all time. Yeah. 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 Some of this stuff just boggles my mind, makes my head spin. (laughs) But but the the, both guys, uh, uh, Levante David and, and, and White, are great diagnosers, and they can get to the ball quickly. And and so when you get the linebackers to the outside zone quickly when the back makes a decision 
they're out there to make the plays, and they're, they're great tacklers as well. So the fact that Vita Vea is back, maybe he plays in a 60-snap game, maybe he plays 25 snaps, but they're going to be important snaps. So, you know, he's back, but Bill, conversely, how much is this going to come down to the questionable health of, of, of Winfield and Whitehead Jr.? Well, um, Winfield's important. Uh, Whitehead a, is a terrific box player, um, and, but I, I'm not sure that that Kansas City necessarily wants to run, you know, wants to win running the ball um, or can do that. Um, but, but the, the, you know, Winfield's another story altogether. He, he's a ball hawk. He's a natural ball hawk. Um, he, he's a natural instinctive player. He gets to the, he gets to the, the, the point of attack quickly. He's a really good tackler. He's got great ball skills. He's, he's really an outstanding safety. And to miss him and miss his instincts back there, even as a rookie, uh, would be a big loss if he can't play. And he's the great destroyer of Penn State. Played one of the best games, one of the best games anybody's yeah. played at safety in college last year against Penn State. Yeah, and it was hard to watch. <laughs> um, Bill, in in, uh, in game 12, Gronk, you know, had his best game of the year, obviously, for most of the year. He's really been a, blonk, a blocker, uh, you know, and uh, Braid has really been been the guy. Is there any reason to assume that uh, Gronk would be more of a target, either more, either have more targets or be more effective uh, again this time than typically, or, or, or are we going to see more of the what mostly happened during the season? I think I think you see what mostly has happened during the playoffs, which is Brait being the being the, the, the you know the the third target uh, because he's. At this stage of the game, he's uh, probably faster than Gronk and a little bit better route runner, and he clearly has some chemistry with Tom. You know, he he's the breaks the the outlet guy. You know, he he's the guy. That, okay, I got a guy coming at me. Vita Vey is free. <laughs> Where's Bray? <laughs> boom, boom, throw it out there. Yeah. You know? uh, so, yeah, I, I you know I I would think it's Gronk is 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 sort of in a in a uh, secondary role, unless supporting role is a better way to say it, uh, unless they go too tights and say, "Okay, now tell us who you want, how you're going to cover these guys." Right. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. that, that's yep. that's that's pretty interesting. All right, I think it's time. Let's bring it up. Bill's favorite subject. Let's dive into officiating. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. Yeah, so, right. so, Bill, Bill, so as you have stated many times, whether it's a playoff game, the Super Bowl, whatever, every game should be called the same. There should not be a different way of things in playoffs or Super Bowls than anything else. But at least to the eyeball test, it seems like during the playoffs so far, that has not been the case. Do you think that's accurate that things have changed big time during the playoffs? Oh, that for sure. I'm certain of that. Um, the average penalty per game, number of penalties per game in the regular season was right around 13 and a half. In the playoffs, 
it's right around seven. Now, the officiating department will say, well, that's because the teams are better and they don't commit penalties. Uh, <laughs> and I would say exhibit number one, put on the Green Bay, Tampa Bay <laughs> film and take a look at that. Uh, those guys are so good. It's amazing. No penalties. Yeah. <laughs> so they do call it differently without question. Uh, they just haven't said so. Um, the officials clearly have gotten the word. There's no ways about that. Two ways about that. And secondly, they've been grossly, um, I don't want to use the word deficient. They have, they have eliminated over 100% of the fouls on offensive holding. It's down 100% from what it was, or 50% what it was a year ago. Okay. So there's no question about that. Secondly, OPI and DPI are down. Defensive holding is down. They're letting a bunch of that stuff go. Now, according to people I've talked to, no one expected that. It wasn't announced that, hey, by the way, we're not we're, we're letting all of this stuff go. It wasn't but a the meeting. The fact of the matter is they did. And they're going to continue to do that. So for this game, it's rather interesting. Tampa Bay is, I got to give them a ton of credit. They are really clean in the way they play pass defense. They, 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 their skill sets, and they're right up there with New England. If they're going to commit a penalty, it's because they want to commit the penalty, not, not because they're sloppy or lazy or use the wrong technique. Um, their breakup technique is beautiful, flawless. I mean, they, they, they don't hang the hand on the, on the back of the jersey. You know, they come through with the, with the inside arm in and leading with the shoulder and leading with the upfield arm. It's beautiful. It's, it's, uh, it's exactly the way New England is when they play press and, and the defender is in phase facing the receiver who's running a fade. And, and as the receiver's hands go up, they come up with their hands, never interfere, knock the ball away, knock his hands open. I mean, it's just beautiful. If you're a, if you're a football geek like I am, it's beautiful to watch. Right. And, and these guys in the secondary for Tampa Bay are absolutely exquisite to watch. So kudos to them. Now, you'd be crazy going into a ball game like this facing an opponent with the kind of um, uh, talent that they do to, to not try and take advantage of what the officials give you. I mean, every week in the league, everyone gets a, a sheet on the officials, who they are and what they call. Right. So if you have a, a back judge, for example, that never calls DPI, uh, feel free to bring a, a long Sherman's hook with you if you play in safety. <laughs> Let's get nuts. Time to get crazy. <laughs> right? It ain't going to get called. Now, put Terry Malloy in there, Bill. <laughs> yeah. In this particular case, in this particular case, the uh, this is an all-star cast. So it's not Sheffer's regular crew. It's a crew that he has not worked with before. They're ostensibly the best people at their position uh, in the league this year. 
Um, but obviously they've been told to, to let certain fouls go unless they're absolutely, quote, clear and obvious. I don't know what that definition of that is, but that's, that's the only public announcement that's been made relative to officiating. So you have to presume, based on what's been done in the playoffs thus far, that it'll be a little bit more liberal. Let's hope it's not as bad as, as happened in Green Bay and, and Tampa Bay. Uh, because, you know, that was a that was a miscarriage of justice on every front. <laughs> really, it was. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to be a wise guy. No, here. no. The- it, it, you know, both teams went in there trying to win the football game. And and and, and it was anything goes in the secondary, uh, which which benefited Green Bay. You know, credit to Tampa Bay. They still played well and they they, they, they did a great job. But the in the no flags in the end when there was an egregious foul they waited to see if the ball was caught it wasn't whoops now comes the foul that's unjust yeah green bay did commit the foul but how about all the other fouls that were committed all day that you didn't call why did you call this one at the end in this moment in that moment it's like balls and strikes. Yeah, it's 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 unjust. It's uh, that, and that's what happens with inconsistent officiating. And that's you know, let's hope. I would rather that they let everything go, if that's the way they want to call the game. To say, hey, go kill yourselves, guys. Have at it. Let's and, be consistent. And, yeah, and, and 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 just not be. Let them spot the ball, which is what they become. Highly highly paid ball spotters. Go ahead, spot the ball, get everybody lined up. If somebody jumps offside, throw the flag and and, and let everything go. And, and you, you, we may scream and holler about how badly the game was officiated, but you won't disadvantage one team or advantage another, which is, by the way, what happened in the 2003 championship game between the Colts and New England. You know, we're trying to play it safe. I and, heard that somewhere. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Old memories die hard. Yeah, yes, they do. <laughs> Here we go. Well, speaking of old memories, you played in a wet Super Bowl yourself. Uh, let's dive into the wild world of weather. Rick, hit us up with the forecast for Sunday. Yes. So, I don't know if you know, I taught meteorology to the fourth grade when I was in high school, Scott. <laughs> All right, so, so here, here you go. That's what that's worth. I hope you're better than most meteorologists. <laughs> yeah, you use the Ouija board. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> anyhow, as of today, the weather forecast is for thunderstorms likely in the morning, a chance of scattered thunderstorms by the afternoon, but an 80% chance of rain the rest of the day w- with winds up in the low teens. Now, so, Bill. Having been a GM in a in a wet Florida Super Bowl, as Scott said, what kind of impact does that have on this matchup? Well, let's 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 deal with the thunderstorms first. There is a a rule that covers that. Once the game begins, once they kick it off, the game is in the hands of the referee, and if he if he gets a consultation from the weather people who are on the sideline, that there is a storm coming through that would put the players at risk with lightning or what have you, uh, then he has the right to suspend the game at that point in time. Now, it's the Super Bowl, so he won't suspend without 
without the okay of higher authority. Uh, the higher authority is going to be in the game in his box, so <laughs> there's no problem there. But but uh, uh, th- they would suspend if it if it if it, if it became a health risk for the players. Uh, having a, a, so that takes care of thunderstorms. Uh, the field will be covered uh, right up until uh, the teams come out to warm up, and I I'm, I'm presuming now I haven't heard, but I'm presuming that the pregame will be a little, it'll be virtual, so it'll be a little less um, intrusive than it normally would be. So they'll, they'll be able to get the field in, in pretty good shape to kick it off. Um, that field drains pretty well because, as you know, in Tampa, every afternoon at 4 o'clock in the summertime, <laughs> uh, it, it pours rain. So, uh, you know. Noah's Ark is uh, on call. <laughs> well, they got a boat there, so I think you're yeah, good. That's yeah, right. That's uh, so that field has good good drainage. Um, they take extra precautions for the Super Bowl. Um, so I don't think that there'll be any issue there at all. Um, we Peyton famously practiced with a wet ball every week during the regular season. And no, we got a... a in the first uh, Super Bowl in Miami, the one that we won, um, we got a long-term forecast that said that it was going to rain all day on game day. So uh, we practiced with the wet ball every every practice, uh, and so that was that was not a problem. And and our our ball boys, uh, who are actually assistant equipment men, did a great job making sure that the officials had. Uh, new balls ready to go and dry balls ready to go in the game. So that was, it was not a problem. The footing became a little bit of a problem toward the end of the game because it just poured rain all day and all night. But um, otherwise, it, it shouldn't be a problem. And wind is, you know, when you get wind below 20 miles an hour, it doesn't affect anybody but the kickers. And even there, not terribly so. So, uh, uh, I, I'm pretty familiar with kicking into the scoreboard end of Tampa Stadium with yeah. a little bit of a breeze. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, those gusts. I've seen that movie and it doesn't end well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no. Exactly. But, but uh, it shouldn't. It shouldn't right. really be a, a problem. Yeah, right. That was there, in the old stadium, by the way. Right. The the sombrero. There are two words we'll never say on this broadcast, and Bill knows what they are. <laughs> yeah, no, that's never happened. All right, so how big an advantage is it for Tampa to get to play this game at home? Or is it kind of a disadvantage, especially this year, since there's no sort of Super Bowl Kazurai? Maybe it gives more of a chance for guys to, to get into stuff they shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, the guys doing stuff they shouldn't be doing at the Super Bowl is very few and far between. You know, they, they it, it it's an, it it gets a lot of coverage if somebody does step out of line, but ninety nine percent of the guys are focused and you know they realize how important the game is. In fact, it's the most important game of their lives, and they know that. Um, it is a benefit uh, for uh, for the teams not to be there, and and to their credit, um, they've said it. I get a kick out of it because I don't think the league likes to hear that. And the marketing people on Park Avenue are probably just, you know, pounding their fists on their desks every day. But the players love not having to go through the press stuff every day and not having to get on the bus and go to practice and go to the press stuff. And, 
you know, it, it just that that wears on you after a while. And and it does get a little claustrophobic. This sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. Uh, it does get a little claustrophobic. So they really don't have a great deal of time to celebrate winning the conference championship. So Tony Dungy um, told this story um, earlier this year uh, in, 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 on a, in, in fact, uh, on this show, I think. Of course, I knew it, but he'd never told it before. Uh, when we went to Miami uh, to play the Bears, uh, you know, we got there and and he told the team before we left for we left Indianapolis, we, w- we went down as late as we could, um, which in those days was Monday afternoon. So you get there Monday night. And uh, and and so Tony told the guys, listen, Edgerin's down there. Edgerin Jane had James had left us that year to I think to go to Seattle. Um, and, and by the way, Jim Irsay gave him a Super Bowl ring as he should have. Edgerin was a, a huge part of our getting there. And and but Edgerin went to the University of Miami as did Reggie Wayne. So Tony said, "Look, Monday night's yours. Uh, I don't care where you go. <laughs> I don't want to know." <laughs> Have fun. Don't get don't get into any trouble. <laughs> Stick with Reggie and Edge. They'll keep you out of trouble. And then uh, Tuesday is 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 just the the team picture and media day. Just show up on time, and then Wednesday we get to work. So that that's a good way to handle it. But because of all the nonsense that surrounds it, uh, by that I mean all the marketing and media stuff. Uh, football people view that as nonsense. I realize it's revenue generating. But the the uh, as when you get to Friday, guys are worn out. You know they're 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 tired of it. They're grouchy. They you know can't wait to see the families. And then the family stuff, uh, which won't happen this year, largely, uh, is also a problem because you know you get back from practice and. Uh, you know, they forgot to deliver the extra crib to the room. And guess what? Aunt Jenny showed up with two of her friends and she needs tickets. And, you know, the, the, we had an office in the six Super Bowls that we were in with teams I was with staffed on Thursday to handle all of those things for the players. Because even though you think you've done it and the coach goes to the press conference and says, yeah, we took care of all the tickets last week. Guess what? Thursday and Friday. No, you know, just it, it 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 happens again. So it, it it it's it's a kaleidoscope of 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 crazy. So the 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 fact that that's not going to happen is a plus. Now the fact that there'll be only twenty five thousand people in the stands is is a plus for Kansas City. Uh, I'm I'm sure that the the overwhelming majority will be Tampa Bay fans, but. Uh, 25,000 can't make as much noise as 70,000. So, you know, they catch a break in that regard. So uh, here's a question for you. So the Bucks um, are, for the first time ever, literally the home team. They also happen to be the home team in the alternating years between the conferences, but they're wearing their white road uniforms. Is that superstition teams do something like that, Bill? Why, what's up with that? Yeah, it, it is largely superstition. Uh, we didn't do it in the second Super Bowl we were in. 
Uh, we had won wearing the white jerseys because we were the road team uh, against Chicago, and we had the road bench, and we had the right to choose the bench and jerseys the second time around, and the players wanted to wear blue because that was our home jersey, and I acquiesced, and I've, 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 I've kicked myself ever <laughs> since. There you go. <laughs> if we'd worn the white jerseys, the onside kick might have bounced out of bounds. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be two rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah most of it is superstition yes it's pretty cool all right gang well that is our look at super bowl 55 we've kind of looked at it from every angle so we hope that uh you are fully prepared for sunday and just get ready because i think with everything that's happening it's probably going to be a pretty good one uh but i heard a rumor and we're going to hit it in the audible something big happened in the nfl this week right yeah so bill tell us Everything you you can tell us about what the what the importance of and what will what what is going to happen in the future when you look at this incredible swap of quarterbacks. I can't remember the last time Snead for Jurgensen, but this this Goff for Stafford thing. Where, where, how does that affect things? Where do we go from here? Fran Talkington to the New York Giants from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, most of our most of our listeners don't even remember those guys' names, much less the trade. <laughs> Um, well, first of all, interestingly, Detroit made that decision before they hired the head coach and general manager, uh, which is kind of interesting. This one, for good or for ill, and we don't we won't know for a couple of years how it works out, belongs to Rod Wood. Don't don't put this one on the head coach or the general manager. But this, Dan Campbell had a great press conference, right? <laughs> so what? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever won a football game in a press conference. <laughs> As I once said to, to to somebody in the league, we don't have donors. We don't have, you know, we don't have booster clubs. <laughs> you know, it, it, so, so much for that. Uh, but this run belongs to the Detroit president, Rod Wood. So if it works out, he gets credit. If it doesn't, it's not on the general manager or the head coach. He made that decision. Uh, then they were very fortunate that they they hired um, a general manager who'd been with the Rams, who had an affinity for Goff, and uh, and also was in a position where he could negotiate almost peer to peer with less need of the Rams. And in addition to that, Detroit's good fortune uh, in that the Rams was the trading, were the trading partner, was that the Rams badly wanted out from under Goff's contract. Now, I also think that's less McVeigh and less Nest, less, uh, less need than ownership, but I could be wrong on that one. McVeigh was not terribly... Uh, enthusiastic about Goff and his end of season press conference and 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 certainly neither was less so uh, in fact less's remarks uh, essentially boiled even though they were very polite and and opaque boiled down to if he had walked uh, and had a sign around his neck that said quarterback for sale call me <laughs> it couldn't have been any more apparent <laughs> uh, so uh, 
they were fortunate enough to find a trading partner in Detroit. And also, they wanted out from under that contract badly enough, Goff's contract badly enough, that they were willing um, to pay a king's ransom to do it. And, uh, and so um, it's an interesting trade in that regard. I, I would, I'm not one for hyperbole, but I think it's fair to say, unless the Rams win the Super Bowl for what they gave up, it's probably not a good trade. And I think it's also fair to say that if Detroit does not prosper with Goff at quarterback, it wasn't a good trade for them either. But only time will tell. The idea that you can you can make a judgment on a trade now is completely fallacious. But in looking at it, I mean, it, it sort of goes counter counterintuitive to a lot of stuff we've talked about. I mean, the Rams are going to go six years potentially without drafting in the first round. I mean, there's never been a run like that in the league. Well, that's true. That's very true. George Allen was the, the only one that ever came close to that with the over-the-hill gang. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, that's, that, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So if, if they're able to, to do it, God bless them. Um, they're in a win-now mode because they're moving into the stadium. And certainly um, Stafford's not going to play six more years, I wouldn't think, at a high level. level. And Detroit is, you know, got a slew of draft choices, which they badly need, but they have to use them properly. And whether Goff is there as the quarterback uh, when they finally become competitive is another question altogether. Would you, so just looking at some of the other moves, you know, obviously all the rumor around Watson, does this set a crazy market if, say, Watson is going to get moved? Well, Watson's a different deal altogether. You know, Watson is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for him uh, because he does have years of control at a reasonable number. Uh, you know, as always, we're beginning to hear rumors surface. Well, he's going to want an extension from the team that uh, that that he finally goes to. Uh, it, that's another one where, yes, hang a sign around your neck saying, <laughs> uh, I want to leave and I also want an extension as part of it. You know, that's par for the course. Um, but he does have years of control at a reasonable number. And, and he is a bona fide franchise quarterback, if you will. Um, so he's a different story. Um, I, my contention is that the Lions got way more than they should have for two reasons. One, they wanted to get rid of Stafford in a worse way and, and, uh, the Rams want to get rid of Goff in the worst way. And I guess the Lions in negotiating with the Rams said, look, we're taking on this huge contract. you got to pay us for that. That's the Osweiler example, uh, except that Goff, I, I suspect, will play for the Lions. Os there was no chance that Osweiler would, would ever play for the Browns. They simply got a second for taking his contract, which is blatantly illegal, but they got away right. with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about that was uh, I happened to be working for ESPN at the time and was on the air doing, you know, free agency live. 
when that deal came through and Adam Schefter, as usual, was on top of everything and announced it. And, and I, so I wrote it down and I blurted out, I said, that's, you can't do that. You can't trade a, a, a player for cap space and, or draft choice for cap space. And, uh, and I said, the player's never going to play. And, and Adam said, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll check into it. Well, not 30 minutes later, a Browns executive who's no longer with the team called Adam and said, oh, no, no, no. That's why I was going to play for us. It's, right. it's not, no, we didn't trade. We, no, we didn't just trade it for cap space. No, he's going to, he's, we didn't get paid, get a second to take the cap space. He's going to be our quarterback. And he never even made it to many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Bill, do you, you know, there's, there's all this talk about the, the, uh, the league becoming NBA like, and that players are going to be able to force things. Is that, do you believe that's any more true than it, than it ever was? It's true in the sense that a certain number, a very small number of elite players who have time on their contracts, play, you know, club control, and uh, an elite skill, which is a handful, have adopted the so-called hold-in. You know, it used to be in the days when you were an agent, Rick, and I was a fledgling scout, that... Uh, uh, they would hold out. You know, players wouldn't come in. And when you don't come in, you don't get paid and you can get fined on top of that. And as each collective bargaining agreement took place over time, uh, more and more strictures were put on holdouts. So agents being what they are, they figured out, okay, uh, hey, we'll do what the NBA does. We'll demand a trade and then we'll be as disruptive as we possibly can be uh, you know, what Ramsey did was was as obvious as the nose on your face. You know, yeah, I'm going to practice today. And then, oh, gee, I got about halfway through practice and my back tightened up. I don't think I can go this week. You know, it, that's holding in. And it's done in the NBA all the time. It's a little more blatant in the NBA. But uh, because they put up with it a little more than, than our people do. But I, I think that's a, a tactic that people are going to use and if they can, but it's only a very small minority. Because, you know, I mean, you, in the old days, they really had players over a barrel because they, you know, they had the left camp did not report list. Oh, they still do? People, yeah, which, I mean, they use, which if, which people don't understand that not only did you not get paid, but your contract was told. So if you sat out a year, you still had two or three years left. You did The clock didn't even tick. So you got absolutely nowhere if to doing that. So that now, I guess, holding in is the way to go. Yeah, but but it's only available to to a tiny, few yeah. very right. elite players. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Very cool, gang. All right, well, that is our look at an exciting week in the NFL. Uh, as always, if you have questions for the Audible or want to hit us up, please hit us up on Twitter at IFBillPolling. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Podcorn. Uh, those guys are great. So get your popcorn ready, not your podcorn ready, uh, for Super Bowl 55. It's going to be a fun one. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Safe, everyone. Absolutely. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the game. Double mask up. Amen. Amen.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.